This is Hashtag History, episode 84. I'm Rachel. And I'm Leah. And I am, like, very stereotypical. Um, I don't really watch sports. Sports ball. Yeah, sports ball, where they throw the the ball thing around. Uh Um, I'm not particularly Mm techie. We did just have that conversation about our our very techie husbands. Uh And I also don't really care at all about cars. Oh, zero. Like, oh, I thought you were about to say the opposite. I thought you were oh going to be God. like, oh, do I, I love am? cars. No. Yeah, I was like, I didn't know this about you. Right. It, I, yeah. I couldn't tell you anything about a specific type of car. No. Other than like Ford, the assembly line. But that's because that's history. Yes. And I can tell you different parts of my car that I've had to replace because they were very expensive. And I can like quantify how much they cost. Air you know intake what I'm valve. Yeah. 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 Wheel yeah. bearing. <laughs> So that's where we're at. That's where you we're know? at. So, so this episode is a bit off-brand for me in like those senses. Mm-hmm. But sometimes those are the best ones. Are they? I mean, I learned a lot. Yeah. What I would say is, you know, even though like talking about cars is off-brand for me, it's totally on-brand because there's going to, of course, be all kinds of controversy, conspiracy, and corruption along the way. There has so, to be. There, there has, has to be. be. <laughs> so this week we are discussing the Ford Pinto's explosive history. Do you know anything about this? No, no, not at all. Great. Uh, and neither did I. So the 1971 Ford Pinto, it was rushed into production for a myriad of reasons that we'll be getting into in this episode. Because of this rushed turnaround time, Ford had to cut a lot of corners and these corners included selling a car with a fuel tank that Ford knew carried a high risk of setting on fire during rear-end collisions. <sighs> when Ford conducted a cost-benefit analysis, they found that it would cost them more to fix the car than it would to just pay off all the legal fees that came along with all of the wrongful death suits that they received. Ford would continue to manufacture this same dangerous model for years, leading to the deaths of approximately 27 people. A weird choice to make. Yeah, we're going to get into, um, you know, more details. We're going to certainly talk about that cost-benefit analysis uh-huh. and kind of look at uh, how much money they were saving and how much they didn't care about human lives. Uh-huh. But before we get into all that, <laughs> and before I pretend like I know anything at all when it comes to talking about cars, <laughs> yeah. I think I need some liquid courage to get through it. Let's do it. Let's do it. I'm Rachel. And I'm Leah. And this is Hashtag History. The podcast for both history nerds and history haters alike. Where we dive into history's greatest stories of controversy, conspiracy, and corruption. Okay. This week's cocktail sponsor is none other than Stephanie from Beyond Reproach. Our favorite podcast. Yes. Mm. Um, So she left us a message saying, cheers to two of my favorite nerdy podcasters, a toast to grabbing drinks in NYC one day. Firstly, I will fly to New York (laughs) right now to have a cocktail with you dare me yeah right now right now (laughs) actually just look at prices pause (laughs) oh that is so nice yeah thank you stephanie that was so nice we have talked about beyond reproach several times on our podcast and also like on our instagram we love them yeah they were part of our uh two-year podiversary that's right yeah they're amazing we we highly highly recommend you check out the show thank you so much stephanie for sponsoring the cocktail 
So I tried looking elsewhere for a cocktail recipe, but I just kept landing on doing the Pinto Bomb. Great. Very similar, A, very similar to your Belgian 75. Oh, yes. Uh-huh. Kind, kind of. Uh-huh. Kind of similar to that. And it's literally just beer with a shot of vodka dropped in it. I, I, was, I was a little fancier yeah. and didn't drop the shot of vodka in it. And, sorry, I know you have things to say. <laughs> she, she can tell I'm like, let me talk. No, I was gonna. All I was gonna say is the name of the cocktail is unfortunately very on point. Yeah, so the I Pinto had to do it. Bomb. Yes. Yeah. Oh no, because like yeah. explosions. Uh-huh. Okay. Okay. I had to do it. Yeah. We stepped it up a little bit because, mm-hmm. like I said, we didn't just like drop some vodka and some beer. I had Rachel bring another local beer. I did. So we mentioned a few weeks ago in an episode, we featured a beer from one of our local breweries, Tilted Mash. Today, we are doing one from Flatlands Brewing Company, um, another local brewery, and they're amazing. And they had a whole... It was very difficult to choose which mm-hmm. beer. The directions I was given were get a fruity beer. Yes. So it was very difficult to choose, but I ended up deciding on this one that's called an orangesicle beer. I can't even wait. Yeah. And the reason I asked you to get a fruity beer is because I also wanted to not just drop regular vodka in there. I actually ended up... We, we got all these pomegranates because we make pomegranate jelly every mm-hmm. year around this time. And so we had some leftover seeds from that from juicing and so i wanted to make like pomegranate vodka it it looks amazing this is maybe the fanciest cocktail we've ever had or like up there right i mean it looks fancy don't generally say like do what we say not what we actually end up doing correct yeah whereas this time it's the opposite normally they're like take some beer bra and drop a (laughs) shot of vodka in it and we're like no get a slush sickle um locally brewed beer (laughs) And then distill some vodka. Oh my god! Oh my god! Yeah, yeah. We did. We did all the things. We did all the things. And I can't wait because it looks incredible. I know. I've been. My mouth has been watering. Same. Looking at it. Pinto bomb. Cheers. Mm. <laughs> Do you oh like my the pomegranate god. mixed with the orange? Because I wasn't sure. I feel like I almost need to taste the, the beer by beer. itself. Same. Yes, the pomegranate does a lot. Oh yeah, it gives it like a. Oh, I don't know what it does, but it does a lot. Oh my god. Mm. Mm. This is a 10. Were you going to say a 10? Yeah, why are we doing so well? Don't jinx it. That's what you did last time. Jinxed it? Yeah. Yeah, I did. <laughs> me? Little old me. <laughs> yeah, me? Yeah, I did. Oh, I did that. wow. For those of you who don't live in Sacramento where we're at, I hope you have local breweries that yeah. brew beers like this because it's nice. It's, it's nice. It's nice. It's, yeah, this is amazing. 10 out of 10. 10 out of 10. 10 out of 10. All right. So let's do a little background on subcompact cars. Mm, Fun topic. Yeah, it's really fun. I'm like so excited about it. So (laughs) (laughs) can you tell? Subcompact cars are, they're exactly what they sound like. They're smaller than compact cars. So today's examples of subcompact cars are like a Honda Fit or a Toyota Prius or a Nissan Versa. And then having given, you know, those modern day examples of subcompact cars, it's like we see those all the time, right? Mm Mm-hmm. Every time I'm on the freeway, I feel like I see a Prius. Mm -hmm. Every time. Yeah. Especially a few years ago. That was like the only car that was ever on the freeway. Nico always makes jokes like, oh, it's so funny that like Prius drivers don't realize that there's not a tax on using their blinker. (laughs) That's good. (laughs) He he believes that they're they're like, oh, they think because they're doing this good thing by driving, you know, an electric car car Mm -hmm. that 
that they don't have to do other good yeah. things. <laughs> that is amazing. Sorry to any Prius, Prius drivers, drivers out there. I, it tends to be true, I will say. <laughs> so, um, except that, for you, listener. Except, no. Ex- ex- never you. Never you. <laughs> so, uh, you know, having given those examples, we know that subcompact cars are obviously very common nowadays. Mm-hmm. And they really got their start in the United States in the 1960s and early 70s due to the increased number of imported subcompact cars from countries like Japan and Germany. We can likely think of a handful of benefits to a subcompact car right off the top of our heads. But particularly at this time in history, during the fuel crisis of the 1970s, the rising cost of fuel had put many people in a position where they couldn't afford to continue to fuel their larger vehicles. A subcompact car with a much smaller fuel tank was more cost effective. Yeah. To compete with the influx of subcompact cars coming from overseas, American motor companies decided they needed to create subcompact cars of their own. Both AMC and Chevrolet each put out their own version of the subcompact car, while Ford Motor Company was like, uh, we kind of need to get our shit together and decided to finally create a subcompact car of their own. In 1967, Ford began the planning of a model they named the Pinto, which is named after a pony. Mm -hmm. The president of Ford at the time, Lee Iacocca, was very particular about both the size and cost of this vehicle. He was insistent that the vehicle weighed less than 2,000 pounds. Ah! Yeah. And cost less than $2,000, which is the equivalent to nowadays, like, $14,000. Oh, I was going to say, can I get a $2,000 car? But even still, like, you know, if you, the equivalent of today's money, a $14,000 car. Yeah, that's still very affordable. That's very affordable. Yeah. Yeah. And just for reference, your average Toyota Prius, like this year's Toyota Prius, mm-hmm. it weighs roughly 3,000 pounds. Yeah. So, just to give reference, with all of today's technologies, our modern-day subcompact vehicles generally weigh more than what Ford was attempting to achieve in the 1960s and 70s. Mm-hmm. Some other alarming numbers about this production process is that at a time when it generally took automotive companies roughly 43 months to develop a new car, it took the folks at Ford only 25 months to complete the Pinto, mm-hmm. the shortest production period in automotive history up to this time. Mm-hmm. So that's like a big Yikes. Yeah. Afraid of losing out to their competitors, they rush the process, oftentimes making poor decisions or just not making decisions at all. (sighs) So let's check out a picture of this Pinto when it was introduced to the public on September 11th, 1970. It looks, it looks nice. Yeah. Like it looks, um, so it's a, obviously a two, like a two door. Mm -hmm. It's not a four door Mm -hmm. because it's subcompact, Mm -hmm. but it does seat five. Yeah, so, but then obviously the seat Mm -hmm. pulls forward and there still is a back row that people can sit in Mm -hmm. if they don't have long legs. Uh, (laughs) If they're not, you or I. No, but it looks for like a 1970s car. It looks nice. That's what I was hoping you were going to say, because I can very much see, like, if you are a single person or maybe, you know, have a smaller family unit. Oh, yeah. This is a totally attractive car, right? Like It looks nice. Yeah. It's small. It's cute. It looks sleek. And it's inexpensive. Mm-hmm. That There's, would sell me right there. Exactly. Like, that. It, it makes sense why the American public would be interested in this car. 100%. And it's Ford, which is a trusted company yes. in the United States. Yes, well, I mean, yes, I would say Ford, you know, being a trusted company, but also any company, you don't expect that they are manufacturing dangerous explosive <laughs> machines. Well, yeah. You know, yeah. you know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. 
we, you and I, of course, already know that there's going to be problems with the vehicle. I mean, I, I teased at them at the intro of this episode, and I literally just said it again. And it would have been one thing if the developers of this car were just negligent and the problems arose after the vehicle was already in the hands of consumers. That would be one thing. But that's not the case. Mm. The people at Ford knew they were delivering a dangerous and life-threatening product to American citizens during the development process. It's hard for me to ever imagine that there are people. I know there are, clearly. But that there are people (laughs) that are like... Oh, well, only 30 people. You you know what I mean? No, and that's what it was. 30 people might lose their lives and that'll cost this much, but that's okay. Yeah. You know, when we weigh the costs and benefits of it, we'd rather pay for the deaths of those people than to protect the people that we're servicing. I just don't. It's weird. Mm -hmm. I don't get it. Mm -hmm. It was during the development process when they were doing a car collision test that they found that there was an issue with the design of the fuel tank. So let's take a moment here and let this sink in for all of us drivers out there every single day, unless, of course, you drive a Toyota Prius, an electric vehicle, right? Yeah. We all hop into machines that have highly, highly flammable liquid in them. Mm -hmm. However, Fuel tanks have been designed to be stowed away in a not particularly accessible location and are kept in a confined space. Mm -hmm. In the 1971 Ford Pinto, however, tell me why they chose to position the fuel tank. I'm going to just have you look at the picture and you can tell our listeners. Wait, is this it? Yes. It's like right where someone is going to rear on you. It's literally right like the back bumper. It's literally, yes. It was positioned behind the rear axle right there at the rear bumper. When we post this picture, I really hope to hear from you all like what your thoughts are because it's, I mean, I said at the top of the episode, I know nothing about cars. I know that that's bad. Is the engine also in the back or is it in the front? Do you know? I think the engine was in the front. Okay. Because I was going to say, if the engine's also in the back, I know the VW bug, the engine's Mm. in the back, Mm -hmm. but I'm pretty sure the fuel tank is then on the, you Mm -hmm. know, in the front or whatever, under the belly of the car. That's a great point. But yeah, that would be really dumb if it's also... It's just like like you and I have already uh, loud and not necessarily proud said we know nothing about cars. But that's dumb. That's insane. Because uh, most accidents are... Rear collisions. Rear Rear collisions. collisions. Yeah. Yeah. So there's that. So that's cool. Yeah. So if you were ever in a rear end collision in this car, obviously the tank could very, very easily be damaged. Mm -hmm. And your fuel tank is obviously not something that you want to be damaged. Yeah. Ford knew this was a problem. They discovered this problem during the development process, and yet they chose not to fix it. Why? After doing a cost-benefit analysis and discovering that it would cost $11 per vehicle, that's the equivalent today of $80. $80. In those days, 11 bucks. They determined that this was simply too much additional money to throw at these cars. They must have already been in mass production of it. Sure. Like, if, if not... Yeah, if it was like early, early on. But they f- they discovered it at the point of like the collision test. They've already put together the cars. I feel like if you're doing a collision test, that should be before you're manufacturing the parts of a car where it's too late to f- but I, recall I, it. I completely agree with you, but I'm also seeing them looking at it like, It'll only happen to a few people. I mean, what are the odds that... What are the statistics of how many people get in a rear-end collision? I'm not... You're looking at me like I'm a crazy person. No, I'm not justifying this at no, all. No, no, no. I don't I'm think you are. I'm just trying to, like, look from the other horrific, horrible side. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 
and say like if you were in it like well boss only 30 people are going to end up dying well, so and that's totally I, I get what you're saying but my thing is that's not the only problem the other problem is that they're doing crash tests when they're already this far into production where they can't take back yeah. $11 per car yes and and you know $11 sounds like nothing at all to us right nowadays but if we look at it with today's money it's $80 per car for a corporation like a huge huge American business $80 is yeah. that that much no. per vehicle Mm-mm. is it that much Ford is it really I don't think it is <sighs> yeah not for people's lives right so I mean exactly what you said their analysis showed that it would be cheaper for the company to fight off lawsuits and pay damages than to pay an extra $11 towards each of these cars. Money talks, human lives don't. I Can you imagine being the guy responsible for like the cost analysis of that? Ooh. Like being the guy responsible for running the numbers? And I hope that I, I'm, we're just projecting here. I don't know this at all, but imagine, so you're being that guy and yeah. he's not on board with it. No, he's like, see, even though this is going to cost more, we need to do it. And they're like, well, your, your, your projections show us that you're, yeah. What if you like flubbed the numbers like on purpose? Oh my God. <laughs> So obviously unaware of these dangers, the American people gobbled up what Ford was marketing as their, quote, little carefree car, unquote. I mean, I think of it today, we've already kind of talked about this. Just it's the equivalent of a fuel efficient five passenger sedan for roughly $14,000. We already talked about that. That's obviously super, super attractive. Yeah. For a brand new car. For it's a not brand like, new like car. I could see getting a used car. I, actually, I do think I got my used car mm-hmm. for $14,000. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. But it was like a three year old car. Mm-hmm. Yeah. No, I, I very much remember when I got my car, you know, as a, as a, a, a literal baby mm-hmm. buying a vehicle and like I, I don't know if it's like this everywhere but i remember so my first car was like 15 years ago it was just under 10,000 and it already had like almost 200,000 miles on it oh, right yeah, yeah. like <laughs> was it like a honda civic or something it was a like honda that accord yeah yep. <laughs> yep. <laughs> yep so of course american public they gobbled it up in its first year on the market alone ford sold more than 300,000 of these pintos mm. As we, of course, know, though, this success would not last for long. Unrelated to the fuel tank issue that we know is going to end up, you know, coming up, there were also tens of thousands of recalls due to issues with the accelerator and hundreds of thousands of recalls due to engine air filter issues. But in relation to the fuel tank issue specifically, one of the most devastating incidents to occur as a result of the poor Pinto manufacturing took place in 1972, only one year after the car hit the market. A woman named Lily Gray, along with 13-year-old passenger Richard Grimshaw, was merging her new Ford Pinto onto the freeway. Her car stalled for whatever reason, and as a result, a vehicle coming up behind her at approximately 30 miles per hour rear-ended her. That's not even that fast. I thought you were going to say, like, it's merging people. Get to 65. <laughs> yeah, well, yeah. No, that's what I mean. I that's what that's I'm what saying. About to say. I would assume, obviously, you, ju- you said it's the one of the more devastating incidents mm-hmm. to occur with this car. So, obviously, it's not going to end well. But it was a 30 mile per hour collision. Yes, which, I mean, that's horrible if your car is stalled and someone hits you at 30 miles per hour. Yeah. But I also see what you're saying that it's it could like have it been was worse. 75, yeah, yes. like a 75 mile per hour, someone, you know, hits you in the back. Of course, that's going to cause damage and Especially explosions. when merging onto a free way i know like californians we're notorious like we get what? a notorious rap for being bad drivers what are and- you talking about <laughs> 
Anyway, if you like are merging on the freeway at only 30 miles per hour, people are going around you and honking. Oh, 100%. In California. But yeah, you have a great point that like 30 miles is obviously that's a lot, right? For a stalled car. But it could have been a lot worse. Yeah. It could have been someone going 65 miles getting on the freeway. You know what I mean? Immediately, this collision burst the fuel tank in the Pinto, eventually sparking a fire. Gray and Grimshaw were able to get out of the car, but not before being consumed by the flames. Gray would end up dying hours later as she lay in the emergency room of a local hospital. Grimshaw would fortunately survive this horrendous incident, but not unscathed. He suffered severe burn injuries, so severe that he had to undergo multiple surgeries, including grafts for his ear and nose using skin from the uninjured areas of his body. At only 13 years old, Grimshaw was forever disfigured from this horrendous incident. Both the Gray family and Grimshaw family, they would end up filing separate lawsuits against Ford Motor Company. Eventually, the jury would award more than $2 million to the Grimshaws and more than $500,000 to the Grays. Ford would also be punished with $125 million in punitive damages. Ford had the gall to appeal the judgment, and the court did end up reducing the punitive damages to $3.5 million. That's a big reduction. Yes. Despite getting off what I would consider like relatively easily, this trial would be the beginning of the end for the Ford Pinto. Good. Did you know that Elvis once showed up to the White House high as a kite with a bunch of guns? Did you know that Eleanor Roosevelt once had a romantic relationship with a lesbian reporter? Hi, we're Stephanie. And Tux. From Beyond Reproach, a comedic history podcast where we talk about political scandals like how FDR's grandfather made the family fortune smuggling dope. And messy government officials like President Johnson, who named his dick Jumbo and would wave it around at people on Capitol Hill. Gross. (laughs) And we do it all while drinking period-appropriate historic cocktails, like JFK's favorite, the lime daiquiri we are not historians we're just a couple of drunks who never shut up and love history we hope you'll join us on beyond reproach for some big facts good laughs a little bit of swearing a lot of drinking and a real good time you can find beyond reproach wherever you listen to your favorite podcasts as we've seen time and time again in history i think namely of our episodes about mk ultra or about the watergate scandal Mm -hmm. despite there being an awareness about the issues at hand it's only because of the media and really really determined investigative journalists that the issues are cast into such a bright light that they cannot be ignored Mm -hmm. the same year that the grays and grimshaws won their lawsuit the mother jones magazine issued a scathing expose on the ford pinto titled pinto madness which we actually have the cover of that magazine cool. here. Cool, cool, cool. <laughs> ah! Are you driving the deadliest car in America? <laughs> oh, but that's so 70s. Mm-hmm. I love, I mean, I, I don't love. We love slash hate it. We love slash hate it. We, yeah. we appreciate slash hate it. So it's a, it's for those who don't have listen a vision um it's a <laughs> magazine cover with a picture of a woman in the ford pinto a yellow ford pinto mm-hmm. and there's fake very clearly fake like drawn in flames behind the car yeah and she's like reacting like ah with her hands like to her head and she's screaming um but i love that the flames are fake and then <laughs> this is all on a blue magazine cover yeah it's, I mean, it's a very it's, I, 70s. Yeah, very 70s. I, I, can't, I, I don't want to say that I love it, but I do. Yeah. yeah. Oh, I do love I it. I do. Yeah. I do love it. Mother Jones would allege all the things. Mm-hmm. 
It would allege that the hostile, intense work environment at Ford under Iacocca's direction had made the manufacturers feel like they couldn't express their concerns about the vehicle, that a memo had been developed that distinctly showed the cost-benefit analysis where the Ford company put a price tag on human lives, that Ford knew the Pinto was a, quote, fire trap, unquote, and that the Pinto was responsible for the horrendous burning deaths of, at a minimum, 500 people. And while this expose was exactly what the country needed to wake up to the harms of the Pinto and the Ford Motor Company as a whole, unfortunately, much of the material contained in this article would be, at the least, a gross exaggeration and, at the most, entirely false. Oh, okay. Well, that's bad reporting for you. Yeah. <laughs> I like how you said that. That just is so official. That's bad reporting, folks. <laughs> we, we are sorry to report that that was bad reporting. Yeah, our apologies. The network would like to apologize. Retract, we would like to retract the information in our previous program. And apologize on behalf of the American people. <laughs> That wasn't bad, right? Yeah. Should we just do a news program yeah, should instead? We, should we do that? Maybe about cars. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, one such misleading piece of information to come from the Mother Jones article was that of the Pinto memo. So I have a picture of it here for you to look at, Leah. This is that cost-benefit analysis that we've been talking about this whole time. Yes, it's very. It's a very small picture. Um, you might need your glasses and your contacts for this one. I don't think that would Can cancel we make itself it out. <laughs> okay. Whoa. Hey. So you don't have to read everything here, but essentially... It's like benefits versus costs. Benefits. Savings, 180 burn deaths, 180 serious burn injuries, 2,100 burn vehicles. So this is them assuming, like taking guesses. At how many people would die from it. Uh-huh. Oh, my God. Unit cost, $200,000 per death, 67 per injury, 700 per vehicle. So those are like the, the legal fees that they would have to pay. Total benefit is 180 times 200000 which would the per death cost, plus 180 times the 67 mm-hmm. per injury cost. Um, e- equal, it all adds up and equals $49.5 million, whereas the cost... To actually fix the car is... It's 11 million cars, 1.5 million light trucks. Anyways, all of this breaks down total cost of the cost to fix the car is 1100,000 times $11 plus 100 what it equals $137 million. So, the benefits of <laughs> keeping it as it is is it's going to cost them 49.5 million of yeah, of keeping it as it is. Mm-hmm. And then the cost of them fixing the issue is 137 million. <sighs> So what we see here, I mean, that's clearly, that's bad enough. Yeah, that looks bad. It's very bad. But what the Pinto Madness article alleged was that this memo had been put together long before the production of the vehicle. It alleged that these calculations with values on human lives had been made from the onset. So like before they even started making the car, they already knew they were going to make a faulty machine. That's what the article is alleging. Okay. Rather... This memo was created two years after the Pinto was already on the market as like an internal means of justifying their refusal to fix the vehicle properly. It's still bad. Oh, it's still bad. It's very bad. But what my point is, is that this Pinto Madness article, it was good in the sense that it, you know, kind of shocked the public uh, into reality Mm -hmm. of corporate greed. But it was bad in the sense that there was so much misinformation. Additionally, the claim of more than 500 deaths as a result of Ford Pinto fires is entirely unfounded. I will say that the number of fatalities was impossible, not almost impossible, nearly impossible, actually impossible to locate in my own research. Mm -hmm. 
The numbers were all over the place. But most sources agree that 27 people died as a result of the Pinto fuel tank issue. And 27 is atrocious, of course. Yeah. One life lost as a result of negligence and greed is unacceptable. But of course, a number like 27 is nowhere near a number like 500. Yeah. Regardless of the misinformation contained within the magazine article, it set a chain of events in motion. The National Highway Traffic Safety Administration would be forced to conduct an investigation after years of attempting to avoid public persecution for their own negligence in the matter, likely an attempt to appeal to the general public as a result of this expose on the deaths and destruction of the Ford Pinto. The NHTSA ensured that these tests that they conducted as a part of their investigation would 100% prove that the Ford Pinto was dangerous. To ensure this was the final outcome, they ran a rear impact crash test with a large and heavy car that had been loaded with additional weights as opposed to like the standard sized car that you might see on the freeway. Mm -hmm. They also ensured that the fuel tank of the test Pinto was entirely filled with fuel as opposed to the way I operate 99% of my life, which is with the gas tank almost always below the halfway point. This is one of those things where like we're so alike in so many ways, but so different in other ways. As long as you and I have known each other and as much as we know each other, Mm -hmm. lots of random topics come up over the course of recording this. I didn't know this about you, but as I was writing this line in our script, I knew you were going to say... My tank is always above half. Yours is. It used to be. It used to be. Now I do run it down to where I see the light every time. Hmm. But I only see that light for five minutes and then I find a gas station. Mine is like I see the light. I'm like, I I see the light. And I'm like, I could make it to Leah's house and back probably twice. Like, I think the thing that sparked this discussion was um, I was... My fuel light came on and I was like, okay, I was coming to your house yep. to pick you up to go somewhere. Yes. And I was like, so here's the deal. I could either stop and get gas now or I can come to your house and get gas on my way home. And you were like, I'm pretty sure you can make it all the way here and home. And did you? Yeah, I did. did. You were right. Core, I, I have experience in this yeah, no, area. I, I trusted you wholeheartedly. I, I'm glad that things didn't turn out otherwise because I, I obviously would have like come and got you. <laughs> um, no, I have extensive experience in this field, mm-hmm. in, in this field of this research. Field of study, yeah. Yeah, I've run very many independent experiments. You can make it pretty far on an empty gas tank. Mm -hmm. That's how I operate my life. In fact, since I was... You're like, I know you have 15 gallons because I can guarantee. I was like, I I know that you can make it home. Yeah. Huge aside. Yeah. (laughs) Huge aside. But um, anyway, so (laughs) naturally, when they rammed this huge car into the back of the Ford Pinto during the crash test, the fuel tank was punctured and led to a giant explosion. Mm -hmm. Instead of waiting for the NHTSA to force a mandatory recall as a result of this investigation... Ford instead chose to voluntarily recall the 1.9 million 1971 to 1976 Pintos. Mm. Unfortunately, not everyone got the memo on the recalls. I mean, when has a recall ever been 100%? It has happened to me before, even in my Honda, when I, I've like taken it to the dealership. They're like, you do know there's like three recalls on this, right? For like minor things. I was like, no. It works for me. Yeah, it works fine for me. Yeah, I mean, w- recalls are not always as widespread as they're supposed to be. Yeah. Right? Yeah. In 1978, just one year after the Mother Jones expose and the Gray and Grimshaw settlements, three teenage girls were headed to a church volleyball practice in their 1973 Ford Pinto. They were rear-ended on the highway by a large van, and within seconds, the entire car burst into flames. Two of the young women would die nearly instantly, while the third would die the following day in a nearby hospital. Ugh. 
approximately six months after the tragic incident, the parents of the deceased teens would receive a notice in the mail from the Ford Motor Company about a recall due to a fuel tank design issue that may or may not lead to an explosion in the course of a rear-end collision. I'm trying to imagine like being a parent and then opening that letter and how I would feel. I cannot even imagine. I cannot imagine. And especially with, I'm sure the letter was like, oops. Yeah. Whoopsie. And, and, and the recall was, this may or, I mean, it, it said, this may or may not lead to an explosion. Bitch, it did. Bitch, it did. And my daughter's gone now. Oh, my God. Horrible. A grand jury would end up indicting the Ford Motor Company with three counts of reckless homicide. This would be the first time in history that a corporation would be charged with murder. Ford would end up being found not guilty, but a later appeal would force the company to pay $6.6 million. In total, there would end up being approximately 117 lawsuits brought against Ford in relation to the rear end collision fires. Less than their estimates. Less than their estimates. Excellent point. During the Pinto's short-lived reign, they would sell over 3 million of them. In more recent years, with history's perspective and 2020 hindsight, many researchers have found that although the Ford Pinto is the dangerous subcompact car we always hear about, it actually was not the only dangerous one out there. Oh, no. Yeah. Other subcompact vehicles, even the imports, were just as dangerous. Oh, yeah. In fact, in 1990, a UCLA School of Law professor named Gary T. Schwartz published an article titled The Myth of the Ford Pinto Case, in which he proved that the Ford Pinto was no more dangerous than the other subcompact vehicles on the market at the same time. Yeah. Rather, it was the way that the media villainized the Ford Motor Company above all other motor companies that led to this damaging legacy. It took years for Ford to regain the public's trust. For a long time, Ford was seen as a greedy, money-hungry company that put dollar bills above quality and, particularly, above the value of a human life. The Ford Pinto has become synonymous with corporate greed and corruption. Despite all of this, and despite the fact that the last Pinto model Ford ever released was in 1980, there are people, although very few, that still drive Pintos to this day. Mm -hmm. Because, with a very minor and very inexpensive fix... This car runs like a champ. $11 per car. Thank you all so much for listening to this episode of Hashtag History. We will share the pictures that we discussed on the episode to our Instagram and all sources used to put together the episode can be found on our website at hashtag history-pod.com. Subscribe to us on whatever podcast platform you use, share about us with your family and friends, and then give us a rate and review. Speaking of Instagram, be sure to check us out on there at hashtag history underscore podcast. We also have started TikTok. Yeah, we did. We don't really post on there, but check us but out we're on there. there. Yeah, but we're there. So we're check there. us out on there at hashtag history, all one word. Speaking of somewhere that we never post, but we are there. Also, you can check out our Twitter Ooh. at hashtag history underscore. Yeah. And also come join us on Patreon. We are there uh, where for as little as a dollar a month, you can help support our books and booze supply. You also get access to some behind the scenes content. We post weekly hashtag hangout episodes and we mail you cards and stickers. Thanks. Thanks. Bye. Bye.
43 months to develop a new car. That was a good that one. That was yeah. That was almost broke your neck on that yeah. one. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I wonder if it caught it. <laughs> Maybe one of those little... Is it like this thing right yep, here? Yep, that's exactly what I was thinking. It might. It might have. That's gross. <laughs> Grimshaw. Grimshaw. Oh, my God. A vehicle. Oh, my God. <clears throat> mm-hmm. <laughs> Mm-hmm. <laughs> oh, flip. 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 I was trying not to say f- <laughs> Do you feel this as much as I yes. do? Like, what the f- is happening? Is it the, um, is it the beer? How much looked, is the it beer? Was 7%. That's not that much, right? It's been a long time since we've had a drink. You know, it was like 12 hours ago. So. <laughs> One life lost. I said 30. I was so close. I think because we had said 27 at the beginning of the episode. No. So I think no, that you I'm were subconsciously... No. Okay. No. No, I think that you subconsciously rounded up 27. I said it like in the first paragraph. No. Okay. I believe... Yeah, I mean, yes, you're probably... Ensure that the... What are you laughing about now? <laughs> I'm just laughing about the same thing. <laughs> yeah. Naturally. Naturally. <laughs> <laughs> Why do we feel this drink so I know. Much? But I want to drink my whole beer. Oh, please do. Okay, I I'm will. Gonna, I'm going to probably double fist it with the... Beer in the next one? No. Or what? Um, oh, julep. Julep. Yeah. My church has All of them. My, my church had baseball teams. Oh, yeah. mm-hmm. We were cool. They were, <laughs> or like, really lame. Yeah. That's where I was leaning. <laughs> joking. No, it was lame. <laughs> I was telling Alex, because uh, I was like doing this uh, research the other day. Mm-hmm. And so I wrote indicting. Indicting. Exactly what I was going to say. I said I listened to a podcast where every time they said like indicted or indicting or whatever, Indic- multiple times they said indicted or there was an indictment. Multiple times. Grand jury would end up in indicting. I almost said indicting. 